Amen. Good morning. You can stand with us if you are able or would like to, as we are about to worship the Lord, as I said already, in song. I'm going to read this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It's been slightly adapted with more modern language. It says, Lord of all power and might, who is the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts love of your name. Increase in us true religion. Nourish us with all goodness and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning.
this call to worship from Psalm 105, verses 1 through 4. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Amen. Let's continue to do that this morning as we sing. Let's 
intermission. Dave, play us some intermission music. <laughs> Sometimes things don't go according to plan, but that's okay. We're not going to let these things distract us because we're here to worship God and He's worthy. It's not about the music, it's about our hearts. Amen. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come, that you would meet us here in our weakness that you would give us grace, that you would help us to fix our eyes on you in the midst of any distractions. God, help us to feel your presence. Help us to set aside our concerns, our worries, the things in our week that maybe are just really on our mind, heavy things that we're stressed about or worried about, God, help us to lay those things at your feet, just to take this moment to say thank you, to worship you, God, to sing about your faithfulness, because you are worthy. Amen. All right, let's try it. God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. to do the same thing for me. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. With you all things are. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a 
I think we have just heard a prompt for prayer. Amen. There's not a lot of us here today. It's one of those odd Sundays where so many are gone. And yet, I can't help but notice that I felt like I heard voices singing and proclaiming these things out more than I typically do. Maybe it was just my own voice and, you know, maybe it's one of those, like, voices in my head kind of things, but... Um, I just kind of sense like this opportunity that even though there's just a few of us today, it's a small group today, friends, God is here and God is listening to us. God cares about our concerns. And as I was singing through the song, which you guys did a great job. I love that song and it was so beautiful. Can we show appreciation to our praise team who... Sticks with it, even though things don't go right sometimes with technology. It was a blessing, and I just felt like that was such an appropriate invitation into this time of prayer. I, I, I have my own burdens that I'm carrying into, into this time of worship this morning, and I know you do too. Like, I know there's not a single person here or who's watching online who isn't carrying some kind of burden, whether it's for yourself or for someone you love. Can anyone testify? Amen? Do you know that you are in the presence of a God who wants to help you bear those burdens? Like, I want to know you believe that. I want to know that you know that you are calling on the same God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David, the God who did these amazing things that if we're really honest, we have a hard time believing sometimes. And that same God cares about whatever it is you're dealing with. It may not be Goliath. It may not be uh, an army, an enemy. It may not be a, a mighty ocean standing before you. Maybe it is, but he cares. And as we go into this time of prayer, I want you to enter into it knowing that you are praying to a God who sees you, who loves you, who knows you, and who cares about what it is you have on your heart. And if you have nothing else to bring before God this morning, if you feel like I really can't think of of anything or anyone to pray for, would you pray that very last line? Come Holy Spirit. We are calling on the Holy Spirit to fill us again. Because I feel pretty empty sometimes, right? 
I can't get enough of the Holy Spirit filling me till I'm overflowing. I want more and more and more. So if you have nothing else to pray for this morning, would you pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill us again? So whether you pray at your seats, these altars are open. There's nothing magical about these altars. But it's an invitation to step out, bring your cares before God. And and it's a way of you stepping out and knowing, I am stepping out in faith, knowing that God sees me and that God hears me. And this is me taking a step toward him so that I can acknowledge that. And so let's pray together this morning. Church, lift up your burdens before God because he cares for you. God, we are calling on you again. God, I am so grateful for the reminders of that song. It is packed with powerful truths that we see in scripture from beginning to end. That while people change, while circumstances change, while situations change and they grow to a place where we feel like we don't know what to do, we don't know how to proceed, we don't know which decision to make. And God, these these things make us feel anxious. They make us feel overwhelmed. They are a burden for us. And so whatever that is for each person here, God, in this moment, we lay those things before you. Tell God what it is that's on your heart. Tell him what you're worried about. Tell him what you're anxious about. Tell him what you're unsure about. God, we need you. God, we need your direction. We need your discernment. God, we need more wisdom. God, we need more strength. God, we need more of your love. God, we need more of your mercy. God, we need more of your passion. God, we need more of your fervor. We need more of your compassion. God, we need more of your joy. So many things in this world seek to rob us of our joy. God, we need your joy. God, I know there are people here or people who are watching online who need your healing. God, we are are claiming this morning that, that you are a God who has healed and you are a God who will heal again. And so as we sit in the the middle of that, as we sit in the tension, God, we are calling on you, that same God, to touch and to heal bodies that are broken, sick, failing us, weary, weak. God, we need more of your provision. There are people here who have needs that they are not sure how to provide for. 
They're not sure where it's going to come from, God. Times are hard, and, and it affects a lot of people, whether they're here or it's someone that we know, someone that we love. God, we are, are seeking more of your provision. You have provided before. You will provide again. We see our needs and they are great and they matter. But God, may we be filled with faith to trust in you and your perfect provision. God, may we be faithful with what you have given us. May we be good stewards of what you have given us. And may we trust in your perfect, abundant provision that has never failed before. And we know, God, that it won't fail yet. God, I'm seeking more of your power, more of your presence. God, I am seeking that I'm seeking more of, of your Holy Spirit that would fill us to the point that it's just overflowing, that it's spilling out of us. God, I pray that you would revive our hearts that you would reignite our passion, that you would fill us with a compassion that helps us to see others and to care for their needs. God, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would fill us and that it would fall in a fresh, new, beautiful way even now. God, I know that praying these prayers, even praying these prayers, I know that we'll still leave here with the same concerns. We'll be still fixated on these things that we've carried into this place. It doesn't always just disappear. But God, I pray that we would be filled with a renewed sense of your peace, knowing that you walk with us that you are capable, more than capable of carrying these things, that you have invited us to sit in your rest, in your peace, to not be anxious, but to trust in your perfect provision. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that. We can only do that by and, and through and in your strength. Oh God, our God, we need you. God, we need you now. Open our hearts, open our eyes to your word. May it be a feast for us today. May we feast on your word. May it fill us. May it consume us. May you give us a holy imagination for what it is you are calling us to today. And God, we end with, with remembering your faithfulness. Church, can you say with me, he is faithful? He is faithful. Say it again. He is faithful. You are faithful, God. And we trust in you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
I wouldn't be mad if we sang that again later. <laughs> we don't have to, but I wouldn't be mad if we did. <laughs> if not, let's sing it again next week. <laughs> Just kidding. It was good stuff. It was really good. Well, in case you missed it, um, last week we started a new series that's going to carry us through the rest of, of fall and into the season of Advent, which is not that far. It feels far, but it's really not. Um, and, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and we started last week. Oh, wait, I got to grab my clicker pointer thingy. Sorry. Um, we started last week, and if you were here, then this will just be a really brief recap. If you weren't and you haven't listened, I encourage you to go back and listen, uh, not because it's the best preaching you'll hear for the week, but because there were some really good nuggets that I think are really helpful going forward, uh, including one discovery that I just found so fascinating when it comes to this language that Paul uses of being the body of Christ and submitting to Christ's headship. It was just so fascinating to me what I learned about that. And so I hope you're curious enough to go and check it out because I think it's a really good foundation because Paul, at the beginning of this letter, you need to know he is laying a foundation. And I appreciate this about Paul because as a pastor, I understand the importance of not just coming into a place and saying, here's what you need to do. Like, I appreciate that. That's not my nature. It's not my character. My, my nature is to come in and to discern and to seek God and then to begin with who God is and who God has called us to be. And it's only after we have that foundation that we can move forward in faithfulness, living out these things that, that Paul is going to highlight for us as we move through this letter. And so last week, uh, we talked about how, how Paul often does. He begins with a theological foundation. And we're not going to go into all of it, but, but a quick summary of the theological foundation that Paul lays that we talked about last week is this. This is who God is, this is who we are. We are adopted by the Father who calls us his children. We are redeemed by the Son because of Christ's death and resurrection. We are redeemed and we are sealed by the Spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a first fruit, as a deposit of what is to come, God's already not yet redemption, okay? We talked about last week how Paul longs for the church Paul, I said last week, Paul's pastoral heart just shines in this letter. Maybe I'm just really sensitive to it, but he longs for the church in Ephesus that is kind of in a good place. It seems to be growing. It seems to be healthy, but Paul sees the things that can become stumbling blocks for them. And so he is longing for the church in Ephesus to continue to grow, to become more healthy, to grow and to prosper, to, to be a living body of Christ. And we see that Paul had prayers for the church in Ephesus. We looked at that last week, that Paul prays three things. And I just want you to know that a few of us gathered here on Tuesday night, and we prayed these things for our church. We prayed these things for our church, and I want to invite you to pray these things for our church. Paul prays that they would receive more wisdom and revelation from God. That from God part's not on there, but it's really important. <laughs> He prays that they would be open to receiving more of God's wisdom, more of God's revelation. He prays that they would know God deeply, that they would know God better because, friends, there's always more to discover about God. Amen? 
There's always more to learn, always more to discover. And so Paul prays, and I pray that our hearts would be open to know God deeply, to know him better. And finally, he prays that their heart and their eyes would be open to see all that God has for them, to see all that God wants them to be. Friends, God has good things in store for us, for Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. Do you believe that? So if you believe that, then what we ought to do is pray that we would see all that God wants us to be. And so that's my prayer. We're praying these three things for the church. And so you can take a snapshot of that. Uh, it was in the newsletter this week, and, and we're just, it's in chapter one of Ephesians, if all else fails. And, and so we're praying that for our church. And then we finally talked about how the theme, if you will, one of the major themes we see throughout the book of Ephesians, this is a theme we are pursuing, is to live in unity to live in unity and to press on toward complete maturity in Christ. And that's my prayer for us, that we would press on toward complete maturity in Christ. So that's just a little recap of what we talked about last week. So now I'm going to invite you to stand. Today we're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Get ready. There's a lot of good stuff here. Take a slow drink. Paul says, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That one is worth repeating. Friends, it is only by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast." For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Who was able to say that last verse from memory? Anybody? Because that's, that's what Jim, I see, I saw that hand. <laughs> that's a good one. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. A, a well-known, often quoted verse. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to lay a little bit more of a foundation today. I really appreciate this about Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It just stood out to me this time, like, I see what you're doing, Paul. You are continuing to lay an important foundation before the people to which you are writing can really receive the message, the heart of what it is you're trying to say. Before we can receive instruction, there is this important thing that we need to do first. And so how I want you to approach 
approach this passage, I'm going to use a really uh, beautiful picture to help you see what I want us to do. I appreciate how some scholars looked at this passage in Ephesians and they said, this is kind of like Paul is, is shooting with a wide angle lens. And then later on, we're going to zoom in on the subject of, of the picture, if you will. And so I thought, I was just looking for an excuse to share this beautiful picture with you, if I'm being honest. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's a beautiful, has anyone seen that picture anywhere? Does that picture look familiar to you? I just had to find a way to share this picture because like it was breathtaking to me. It was so beautiful and I thought this will be perfect. I didn't need a picture, but I saw this and I was like, I do need a picture. And this picture was taken by our very own Greg Griffin. He took this picture, it's worthy of applause, go ahead. (laughs) He took this picture of the Arkansas River in Colorado last year, right Greg? Right, and so I I just was captivated. I have a special place in my heart for Colorado because that's where I was born and grew up for five years. And then the Arkansas River, naturally, that feels significant too. And, And this picture was just gorgeous. And so imagine that Paul has this beautiful picture in mind for the church, but there's some specific things that we have to get to first. We have to zoom in, if you will, before we can really take in the whole picture of what Paul is calling us to do or how Paul is calling us to live. And so I just zoomed in there on the center of the picture to kind of make this point. But really, we just want to keep looking at this because it's just beautiful, right? We can leave that up for another minute so you can enjoy it. And then you might notice, too, that Paul begins with, like, we, we ended with the last verse, 23 in chapter 1, and we pick right up, there was no, no, nothing in between, we pick right up with Paul saying, as for you. So this just became a little personal as I'm reading it, and scholars are, are unclear as to whether Paul is talking to, like, a specific group of people, like, there is a Jew-Gentile divide that Paul is addressing or will address for sure later. That's definitely an issue that's happening in the church of Ephesus. There's this, you know, it's a difficult thing to get along with those who are so different from you, and and nothing displays that more perhaps than the Jew-Gentile divide. And so Paul is certainly, he has that in mind. But we don't know if he's speaking like to Jews, to Gentiles, or if it's just a collective like each of you all of you, and that's how I thought it's, it's still safe to receive that today. Uh, but he's speaking specifically to you and to your heart first. And I, that's, that's kind of my conviction anyways as I really study this. And it makes sense to me, right? It makes sense to me because Paul has already said, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be the body, the body of Christ. We're going to talk about what it looks like to live in unity, to live together in love as Christ himself prayed. But first, before we can go on to address the issues of the body, you have to do some inward reflection. And I think that that is very true to to us, that before I could even begin to address the issues of a body as a whole, I have to first begin with my own heart addressing what needs to be addressed in my own life. It's good and necessary that we look at our hearts first, that we look inward before we look outward and address the whole. 
As I often do, I read multiple translations of the passage for that week because I, I want to familiarize myself with it. I highly recommend you do that. Add that to your daily reading or your, your rhythm of reading scripture. Read multiple translations because it really helps you to hear it in different ways, and then that's going to help different parts to stand out to you, and, and you're going to maybe pick up on something you wouldn't have before. And I just have to tell you, I always appreciate the message translation, but it was so good that I felt like I already wanted to go through and kind of piece this apart before getting to like the the main point. But I really wanted to do that by reading through the message version in little pieces. And it's worth it, friends, because I love how Eugene Peterson put some of these concepts that Paul is, is trying to communicate. I think he did a really faithful job to the original meaning, the original text. And so we're just going to go through and break this up into a few pieces before really getting to the heart of, of what was on my heart this week. And so we'll just read this one little part first. I know that's a lot. It's, it's up there, but I'm going to read it to you as well. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. I love what what Eugene Peterson is trying to communicate and what I think Paul was trying to communicate is, is, listen, beloved friends, it wasn't that long ago that apart from Christ, your life was a mess. And I say, amen and amen. Like, I know what my life apart from Christ looks like. I know that God created me with the best in mind, that I was the the very good of his good creation, remember? We, humanity, is the very good of God's good creation. But when we choose other things, other paths, we let sin come in and disrupt what God originally designed as good. And I know that in my own heart, in my own life, it can be really, really ugly really displeasing. It can be so damaging. I'm aware of the behaviors in my own heart and in my own life that if I'm not careful, they'll creep up and they'll take over and they'll destroy all the good that God has done. I am aware. And I think Paul wants us not to beat ourselves up with this. Listen, this is not like a beat yourself up beside the head with this truth. This is just so that you can start from a place of humility of being humble as you acknowledge, apart from Christ, I'm a mess. Apart from the holiness of Christ, which fills me, I will go on and pursue that which seeks to destroy because that's the world we live in. And so Paul is saying, you can't necessarily judge somebody, which this will kind of come later, because at one time we were all there. We lived among them. And apart from Christ, we will, without a doubt, live in such a way that is opposite to the Spirit of God. And so we go on in the message. We pick up, it's a wonder then, God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. Like, think about you. I hate doing this. This is really not something I like to do. But think about you in, like, your worst place in your life. Like, 
Imagine you at, at what you felt like that was just the, the worst possible place I could be apart from Christ. And then imagine you in that place and imagine God looking towards you. And instead of, of saying, ugh, and instead of saying, oh, I'm just done with them. Oh, I just, there's no hope for them. They don't deserve it. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he picked us up and embraced us. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> he took our sin-dead lives, and he made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up, and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Friends, because of God's good mercy, because of God's rich grace, he has made us alive in Christ. And this is not a new message for most, if not all of you, that, that we did nothing to deserve this. Nothing you could ever do from here on out if you lived perfectly. Nothing you could do could, could put you in a position of deserving what God has done for you to, to cause you to earn what God has done for you. Because at one time we were dead in our own sin and if we're not careful, we can become dead in our own sin again. That's our reality, but on his own without help from anyone, without even any reason to move forward other than his pure love for us, God came toward and he embraced us and he showered us with mercy and grace, seeing the best through the life of Christ and him laying down his life for us, taking on that sin, that shame, that humiliation, that ultimate death so that we don't have to. Sin no longer has the stronghold over us. Sin no longer has the power. Instead, because of the power of Jesus over sin and death, we don't have to live that way anymore. And so we celebrate. We don't continue to beat ourselves up. We don't continue to look back with shame. I hope you know my heart to know that none of this is to induce shame. None of it. It's to help you truly appreciate God's mercy and to see that nothing we, any of us could do, could earn what God has done for us. So knowing that, Paul goes on, or the message goes on. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and in the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving, don't forget, is all God's idea. It's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. You all need to hear this. I need to hear this. We don't play the major role. And guess what? If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. Amen? Like, Eugene knew. Like, he knew. This is how they need to hear this. It's faithful to what Paul is saying, but it's in a way that really just helps us to grasp it. Like, if, if we even thought that we had any part in this, we would just go brag. We would totally take the credit. Like, I'm just so good. I've checked all the boxes. I've, I've done all the Christian-y things, and I'm just so good and, and worthy. And, and the reality is nothing we could do could earn what God has given us. And this is where I'm convinced, friends. This is something that really stood out to me, that humility 
This combination of love and grace is the way for the followers of Jesus. We've all been there. We, we all should acknowledge and, and, and recognize that, that nothing that God has done, done for us is because of something we did. I recognize where I would be without God's mercy. I know what I'm capable of. And instead of, of walking in, in this arrogant attitude that I'm so great, that I've done something so great, but also instead of walking in shame, friends, I can tell you that I walk in the power and in the freedom of Jesus, that he is enough for me, that he has taken away my sin, my shame, didn't do anything to deserve it. And so I'm gonna move forward the best I can. I still mess it up, move forward with love and grace and humility as I engage with others because I know where I would be without God's mercy. And as soon as I was thinking about this, it brought to mind one of my favorite quotes from John Wesley. We are the Church of the Nazarene. We are a Wesleyan denomination. We, we look at John Wesley. We call him one of our theological forefathers. And I love this quote from him. It's in my office, and I think about it often. And he said, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves and gracious in judging others. I want to add a little side note here. I don't think that John Wesley meant like we need to shame ourselves and like we need to constantly beat ourselves down because we're so terrible. Like that's not Wesleyan. That is the total opposite of, of Wesleyan theology. But what Wesley is saying is it's, it's essentially a, a, a sawdust versus plank situation, right? Like that's just his way of saying what, what Jesus has already said, Don't be so quick to point out the the piece of sawdust in your brother's eye, all the while missing this giant pole that's coming out of your own eye. And so I love how Wesley puts it that, that we should be rigorous in judging ourselves, like quick to judge ourselves first and gracious in judging others. And, and I think that the reason that this is so meaningful for me is because I've studied the life of Wesley, of John Wesley, and I think that Wesley knew, like he experienced, he knew that he played no major role in what Christ had done for him. As a matter of fact, Wesley was known to be a minister of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel who for years didn't believe himself what he preached to others. Like he didn't receive the grace himself that he preached to others. And so he constantly lived under this this nagging shame that that he is unworthy, that he is not good enough, that, that God doesn't really love him, that he's not really saved. And it would be years of following Jesus, years of of ministering to others before Wesley would have this amazing, powerful moment under the grace of Christ, really accepting and acknowledging what Christ had done for him. You can Google it sometime. If If you haven't read the story, Google John Wesley, heart strangely warmed. And you'll read this beautiful story of, of this minister, not only a follower of Jesus, but a minister who waited so long to acknowledge the grace of Christ and how it indeed was even enough for him. And so I think that Wesley recognized, like, I know I'm not worthy of it, but I need to acknowledge that Christ has done this for me. It's a tension, you see? 
We aren't to walk around all haughty and prideful thinking we're so great because we've done this, this, and this, whatever it is. But we also need to walk in the freedom and the power of Jesus that says, yes, you didn't do anything to earn or deserve this, but it's my gift to you anyway, so receive it. Walk in it. Live in the power and in the freedom that you can receive when you really receive this grace from God. Okay, so moving on. We see, he says, no, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. And so this brings us to verse 10, that verse that I, that I said that is frequently quoted. It's memorized by many, and a lot of people quote this out of out of memory, and it's kind of this one verse that we, we tend to use a lot, and it's great. Don't get me wrong, it's great. But then I often wonder about these verses that are highly quotable and the ones we encourage people to memorize. Like, do we, are we aware of what this verse means? And I hope so. For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is where I want us to receive that, friends, we are what God created us to be, and that is good. And so much seeks to rob us of that goodness. So much in this world seeks to cover up the goodness of God that is in us from from the moment we are created by God. We were created for good. Because God is good, he made us in our image. We are made to reflect and to resemble God's goodness. We were always created to do good things, not because that's what helps earn our salvation, but because God has always sought to be a blessing to the world. And he does so through his infinite goodness, and that goodness is in us. And so because we've received God's goodness, we are then to go and to be the good that God has created us to be. Okay. I love how the NRSV puts it. This is my, my third and own last translation for you. Because as I, as I read the NIV and, and even, uh, yeah, just the NIV, I thought, well, I'm really curious uh, what he means by, because I feel like there's a tension here with works. Like, it's not works, but you're created to do good works, right? Do you see? It's kind of like, ah, what are we to do with that? It's a little bit confusing. And so I went to the original Greek, and then I'm going to share that with you in a moment, because you know I, I have to do that when I find a good one. And I think the NRSV really communicates the original message here. Don't, don't, don't check out yet. The NRSV says, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And so here's what I want you to understand when you read that. And rather than getting hung up on the works aspect, rather than reading uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, the faithful translation that is really faithful to that Greek word there is created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance that in them we would walk. 
And so it's not necessarily about this doing, this checking of the boxes, this I got to do all the right things. It's I walk in this way that God has designed for me. I conduct my life in this way. I live in this way. It's not just something I do. It's how I live. It's, it's the goodness of God in me flowing out of me in everything I think, in everything I say, and in everything I eventually do, Right? It's not the works that we are accomplishing. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. It's kind of what we talked about last week, and Paul's going to go on some more with this as we go on in in the coming weeks, that we live a certain way because we are alive in Christ. We act a certain way because we are alive in Christ. As we're going to see later, we refrain from certain things and certain behaviors because we are alive in Christ. It eventually will affect the things you do, but it's not about the things you do. It's how you live. The, the, The invitation here is to walk a certain way. As I was reading this week, I was thinking like as... You know, this idea that, that Paul is laying some groundwork before he can move on to really target like specific issues. And what I had in my mind is, oh, it's kind of like you need to learn to walk before you can run. That's a, that's a common phrase that you hear often, right? Like, oh, you need to learn to walk before you can run. And so that's kind of the idea that I had in my mind as I'm thinking about this foundation. But then I'm really grateful for something that really kind of shifted my thinking as the week went on. And and what I've really decided is that before we can do anything, before we can live or walk a certain way, which is definitely the invitation here, we must first acknowledge one important thing, and that is our position in Christ. And if you remember from last week in chapter 1, we read that God, this is the whole point, so if you've been checking out, check back in, because this is what I really want you to get today. That last week we read in, in Ephesians 1.20 that God raised Christ from the dead. Friends, this is powerful. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. He raised him from the dead and now he sits at the right hand of God. And then as we read this week in verse 6, And now God has raised us up with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In other words, what God, what God did for Jesus literally, he does for us spiritually. Friends, that's powerful. Like, as literal as Christ's death and resurrection was, that's the same kind of power that we're talking about spiritually for us. That we go from being spiritually dead, like you can't get any deader kind of dead, to being raised to new life, and now we live in this reality. We sit in this reality. The thing that shifted my whole thinking this week was Nikki and Gabe sharing this book with me that was written by Christian Chinese leader in the 20th century, Watchman Nee. And he writes this I don't need, I'll call it a book because it's bound, but it's like teeny, teeny, tiny. It's perfect. <laughs> and it's like his understanding and commentary in really small, bite-sized, easily digestible pieces on the book of Ephesians. And I loved, it's called Sit, Walk, Stand. And I love what he says regarding this passage. Keep in mind, I'm like, oh yeah, we got to walk before we can run. No, 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 I was wrong. 
He says, Watchman Nee says, no, we are invited at the very outset to sit down and to enjoy what God has done for us. Not to set out to try to attain it for ourselves. This is good, church. He says, the Christian life from start to finish is based upon this principle of utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus. And so what I want to say to you as we close is this. Yes, we are going to get into the nitty gritty of what it looks like to live out this life in Christ in unity, as we press on toward maturity and fullness in Christ, we're going to get into it. It's going to get dirty. We're going to talk about behaviors and things that we need to get rid of in order to be able to fully live into this. We're going to get there. We're going to learn what it means to walk this way, this way of living, this invitation to walk in this way. But first, we must learn to sit. Otherwise, all of that is going to fall flat. As Watchman Nee says, he says, sitting, I love this. Would you receive this? Sitting is an attitude of rest. It's an attitude of rest. Something has been finished. Work stops and we sit. It's true that we only advance in Christian life as we learn to sit down. Because you've been seated with Christ. And until you acknowledge what Christ has done for you and receive it again and again and again, then everything you seek to do is going to fall flat. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, rather than saying before we can learn to run, we have to learn to walk, I stand corrected. I sit corrected. That we have to learn to sit before we can walk. This week, I, don't worry, I'm not disappearing. I'm grabbing a, a, a prop This week, I was thinking about a time when I did a lot of walking because I really wanted to, like, just sit in this, okay? No pun intended. And I was thinking of a time, like, when was a time that I walked an outrageous amount? And hands down, Disney World gets, gets the prize. Amen? Anybody been there? Disney World gets the prize. We went in June of 2019, and one of those days there, I think it was Magic Kingdom. I tracked 24,000 steps around Disney or around Magic Kingdom, which equated to about 10 miles walked. And I loved every minute of it. I couldn't get enough. We had the most amazing time with our kids. It truly, truly is magical. Like, it's amazing. I loved it. I couldn't get enough. I wanted to keep going. I never wanted to stop, but I would be lying if I said I wasn't secretly looking forward to that bus ride back to the hotel where I could finally sit down for more than a few minutes. And even then, it was kind of up in the air because those buses were so crowded that most of the time we were standing holding on to that germ-infested pole thing above our heads or in front of us. But I think you get the point that you, you yourself have walked or stood for a long period of time where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. My body can no longer, my legs can no longer bear the weight of my body for one more second because it's just been too strained. And, and, and just so you can like get the vision, okay? 24,000 steps, 10 miles. My body is tired. My legs are tired. Every part of my body is aching until 
I sit. And all of a sudden, this is basic science, okay? <laughs> all of a sudden, the weight is released because now this chair, this stool is holding all of my weight. My legs don't have to do it anymore. My legs are experiencing relief because they don't have to, to bear the weight any longer. And that's what Watchman Nee and I think Paul is, is essentially saying. That us lifelong Christians, which is mostly who I'm speaking to today, we really like to pride ourselves on how good we are. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. I should have done that a few minutes ago. Sorry. We love to pride ourselves on walking through life, and, and we're just pretty proud of ourselves, I think. We're pretty proud at how far we've come, and, and it's really easy for us to look at others and think, oh, God bless them. Bless their heart. They have a long way to go. That's how we said it passive-aggressively in Arkansas. Bless their heart, right? Like there's this, friends, we are invited to sit with Jesus. And we are invited to sit in his goodness, to sit in his capable hands. I don't even want you to think about anything else because the rest of it doesn't even matter, I say so carefully until you've really learned what it means to sit in the capable, good hands of Jesus, who's really going to be doing all the work anyways. So take a load off. Like, release yourself from the pressure to be this perfect Christian who has to bear the burden of judging other imperfect people. Like, we're all there together. We need one long bench that we can all sit on side by side. And that's essentially what I'm inviting you to do this morning. We can't move on in learning how, what it means to walk in this way until we've learned to sit in the goodness, the capable hands, and the wisdom of Jesus. So Jesus, as we take this time to, to reflect and to respond to, to this invitation to sit, we acknowledge once again that it's you who have done the work. We can't boast about anything and while we're going to be invited to stand in just a few moments, may we be spiritually sitting. May we take this invitation to sit once again in your presence and knowing that, that our identity, our everything is found in you and only in you. And that you have given us this foundation, this firm, solid foundation to build our lives upon. This matters and it's important, God, Help us to receive that today. Amen. Amen. Actually, I'm going to invite you to stay seated, which I just decided in the last second, right before you prayed that. <laughs> so I actually am. This is a different, but I'm going to invite you just to stay seated in your seat, to just rest in this moment, or to kneel if you prefer to worship God, to meditate on these words. Um, I am going to go back and do that song again that we sang earlier. Um, it's called Same God. This is a newer song. If you want a uh, heads up on when new songs are coming, you can check our Facebook page because I'm trying to be good about sharing them there. But feel free, if you don't know the words, just to... Let us sing this over you to meditate on the words. Join in on the parts that you can. For a minute there, when she first started out, I thought I really missed the boat on the songs today. 
But when she uh, read that quote from Watchman Nee, which I'm just going to repeat the last bit of it that I wrote down in my notes. The Christian life from start to finish upon this principle of utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus. And I thought, wow, the Holy Spirit is so good. Here we are singing, oh God, my God, I need you. I need you now. So meditate on that principle of dependence as we sing together.
children then you hear your children now you are the same God you are the same God you answered prayers back then and you will answer now you are the same God you are the same God you were providing then you are providing now you are the same God you are the same God you moved in power then God moves in power now you are the same God you are the same God you were a healer then you are a healer now you are the same God you are the same God you were a Savior then you are a Savior now you are the same God you are the same God oh God my God I need you oh God my God I need you if you would like. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of confusing messages today. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you guys for doing that again. Um, yeah, I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's turn the lights on. And we are going to 
transition a little bit differently today because you are all invited to hang out here and stay for lunch. Uh, today is Sack Lunch Sunday. Grab your meal. If you didn't bring a meal, you're still invited to stay. Um, if, you're, if you can get down with some peanut butter, I've got peanut butter sandwiches ready to go for anyone who needs a lunch who didn't bring one. Um, I have no jelly because... We just eat peanut butter sandwiches in my household, so it's just peanut butter. It's disappoints you. And I have some, some cookies and things like that. So please stay, even if you don't have anything, uh, if you didn't know or forgot. And, and I'm looking forward to fellowship together. So let me give you a special benediction today. Friends, beloved community of BFCN, may you go in the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit who seeks to fill you again. May you go and enjoy a place around the table with people who see you and who love you. And may you know that you are journeying together. We're journeying together. So go in his peace. You are dismissed. God bless this food to our bodies. Amen.